Hey everybody, Zach here. Welcome to the show. Before we dive into this week's episode, just want to give a quick thank you and shout out to Element 451 for making today's conversation possible. I've been talking with several several of you um, about their new product packs and just want to reiterate how much of a game changer I think that this is for the higher ed CRM space. So you know that moment after you've finally gone through the whole RFP process, you've done you know training and onboarding with the CRM vendor that you selected and then you know you're in the CRM and you realize oh my gosh there's just so much work to do to get up and running right like we've got to build out our conflows we've got to build out our landing pages etc well with packs by element 451 this headache goes away because what packs is is it's essentially pre-packaged content right pre-built content designs and automations so you're actually able to do in minutes what would normally take your enrollment management team or your marketing team or your IT team weeks to do no code needed no writers you know no wasted time each pack is designed with a very specific goal in mind so for example you could install the senior search pack and in minutes you'll have five personalized emails that are totally branded to your school your audience segments, um, and a whole marketing automation workflow that will make the campaign run effortlessly. So in a fraction of the time that it usually takes, you'll be well on your way to achieving your enrollment goals. We all know that uh, time is everything, especially these days. So what's super cool about Element 451 is that they're, you know, they're finally a higher ed CRM that actually comes with content, guys. Like, this is game changing. Uh, anyways, learn more at element451.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's element451.com forward slash enrollify. And if you'd like a personal introduction to the team there, um, I, I know artists um, and they are uh, just a fantastic group of people and I'd be well, I'd, I'd welcome any opportunity I can to introduce you or your team to their customer success team. So feel free to reach out to me directly at Zach, Z-A-C-H at enrollify.org if you'd like me to make that introduction or even give you a sneak peek behind the scenes look at how the product works. All right, everyone, thanks so much for your time and thank you Element for making today's conversation possible. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Boozy Cruz and I am the host of today's episode. And today I am very excited to be speaking with Phoebe Bain, who is the lead writer for Morning Brew's Marketing Vertical, their Marketing Brew newsletter. Welcome to the show, Phoebe. Thanks for having me, Zach. So Phoebe, I like to start every interview that I do with a slightly different opening question that at least sort of loosely sort of corresponds to my guest and or the episode's topic. So my question for you is, who are your favorite marketers or, or brands to follow on social media right now? And then a, a follow-up and, and slightly related question is, who have you most recently unfollowed and why'd you do so? <laughs> I like the unfollowed question. That was funny. <laughs> so my favorite marketers to follow, at least on Twitter. I'm big on marketing Twitter. I've grown Marketing Brews Twitter a ton over the past couple months since we launched. Um, but I love following Amanda Gatz and then Beyonce of Marketing. Um, they are both really great female leaders in the space. Um, in terms of brands that I like following, 
Glossy Eye has always been my favorite follow. Okay. Um, if you guys read the most recent Marketing Brew edition, I just wrote a top story on their latest product launch just because I think that they, as a brand, completely disrupted um, you know, social listening and user-generated content and just how we think of them in the social media marketing space. Um, and then even like how you can apply social media marketing tactics to other areas of marketing like OOH and places like that. Um, so Glossier is great. And in terms of people that I've recently unfollowed, honestly, like I think that it's probably a very common thing to do for the average consumer to unfollow a brand from, you know, maybe being inundated with emails or whatever, but I never do that because, um, you know, it's, I think it's valuable for me to be looking at all kinds of different, um, you know, marketing strategies, even if they are bothering me in my inbox or on my Twitter feed. Um, I recently subscribed to Hulu just since we've been in lockdown for the pandemic and I got Hulu with ads like on purpose so I can watch the ads. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't really unfollow anybody except for like people I didn't like in high school. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that, that way you at least have like examples of like really bad marketing that you can screenshot and share and make fun of on social media. Oh, so. <laughs> I'm sure it's helpful to have, you know, those to subscribe to those newsletters and or follow some some folks who um, just are are notoriously bad at marketing. So, it, you know, maybe it makes you feel a little bit better about about the work that you do um, and and your team. Um, I, I have a couple of those as well that I really should have unsubscribed from a while ago, but keep um, keep, you know, seeing and, and whatnot just so I feel a little bit better about the work that I do. So, (laughs) 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 all right. So, uh, next question for you here is you're sitting on a plane. It's post COVID it's more socially acceptable and, and safe to fly around. Um, and the person sitting next to you asks what you do. And they're, you know, they're one of those people that they don't want to chat the entire flight, but, they're not going to let you get away with a, a simple answer like, I write a marketing newsletter. So how do you explain to people, how do you explain to this person sitting next to you what you do and what Morning Brew is? Oh my God, so funny. That's a topic that's actually come up a lot lately because I live, well, I don't live, I technically live in New York City, but I've been um, in my hometown of Middleburg, Virginia. It's this like tiny rural area, um, about an hour west of D.C., And, you know, nobody is like a media person or has a job like this. And people are like, oh, wait, you do what? So (laughs) I guess I would say that I write a, I'd say I'm a reporter, right? Because I guess in some senses I am a reporter. In some senses I'm like a staff writer. I'm somewhere in the middle of like breaking news and, you know, writing long, like long form pieces on like analyzing the news. Yeah. Um, my job is right in the middle of those two things. Like marketing brew is never going to be the one to break news, but we are the ones to, you know, tell you the news, tell you what we think about it in a short, succinct way. Um, but anyways, yeah, I'd say that I'm a reporter who reports on the biggest news in the marketing industry for marketing professionals. Fantastic. Fantastic. I love that. And uh, just as an aside, um, I'm actually from, uh, well, not from, but I've spent the last 10 years living in DC and just recently moved out. And um, right before doing so, my wife and I celebrated our first anniversary in Middleburg. So um, congratulations. Welcome. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a a beautiful, it's a beautiful place there. Um, So just wanted to throw that in and and, and great. And then how do you explain, you know, I'm curious how, how morning brew explains itself. Like, how do you talk about, okay, 
you work on the Marketing Brew newsletter. Um, you're somewhere between like a reporter and a staff writer. Um, you help people understand sort of the latest and greatest in marketing news. Um, but then how do you sort of describe Morning Brew and, and, and the parent company and how it relates to the work that you do? Yeah, so I'd say that Morning Brew is a business newsletter for millennials that is, you know, meant to make you smarter in five minutes every morning um, and kind of be your fun, smart, engaging friend who knows what's up in the business world. Um, so that's what Morning Brew is. And I think what my hand is in that is that I am Morning Brew for marketers, right? So I think like a lot of young professionals read Morning Brew, but um, we had a large audience of marketing professionals. So now I get to talk directly to them. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, and, you know, today we're going to have a conversation about finding, curating, and, and really making sense of marketing trends. Um, really excited to talk to you about all of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but before we before we dive into that, I want to actually hear a little bit more about your story. So um, one of the things I normally ask my my uh, guests is for them to give us a, a sort of spark, uh, excuse me, a sort of Cliff's Notes overview of their career today, because most of the people I talk to are um, significantly, uh, older, older than me. Um, and so I thought, you know, we, you, I think we're around the, the, the same age here. So, um, thought you might appreciate a spark notes reference rather than a cliff's notes reference. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to just get an overview of sort of like what your career to date has looked like. And I'm actually especially interested in hearing about your time at college magazine and working as a freelancer for Carnegie Dartlet, because many of our our listeners are actually very familiar with Carnegie Dartlet. They've either worked with them previously and or, uh, you know, certainly know, know the team there. So um, that was a lot, but would love to just hear about you and about uh, specifically about your time at Carnegie Dartlet and College Magazine. Yeah, absolutely. So I am um, suspiciously young for my job. Um, I'm 12. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so I graduated from high school. I had these like hippie parents who, you know, just like slept on mattresses on the floor growing up. And we're like, you don't even have to graduate high school as long as you're happy. So they were like the least career oriented people ever. And I was kind of like, if I want to get on, you know, the straight and narrow and make money and have a real career that I love, like I have to start soon because huh. I was watching my older friends graduate college and then sit at home and not have a job for a couple months. And I was like, okay, that's not really an option for me, you know, my parents travel around and move to various places that just like aren't hospitable for non-hippies. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I have to get it together ASAP. And I figured out slowly freshman, sophomore year of college that I wanted to be a writer. But before, I guess like a part of figuring that process out was I started freelance writing my freshman year of college for um, Carnegie Dartlet. I wrote for their college express um vertical okay. which is basically i mean i'm sure that your listeners know but it's a sort of like if you're thinking of those you know 150 colleges to attend in the united states books this is kind of an online companion to those um so i started freelance writing there i did it unpaid for a couple of years and was just writing about my experience as a recent college senior applying to the top 50 schools in the united states huh. and what that experience looked like and what my transition into college looked like things like that but then I actually transferred. I started at Brandeis University, which is a Jewish school in yeah. Boston. Yeah. And I transferred to William & Mary, which is a Virginia 
state school, but it's one of the best private schools or public schools, sorry, um, in the nation. And I grew up in Virginia, so I got, you know, lower tuition there, which was really the only reason why I transferred. Brandeis was great, but um, I started writing about my transfer experience and College Express and Carnegie really liked that. So they actually started paying me for my work. And I blogged about my experience as a transfer, the transfer admissions process, um, and all the things that came with that. Um, and then I ended up writing for College Magazine simultaneously. Got so it. College Magazine is different than College Express. It's not under Carnegie Dartlet. It's an independent company. Um, I think it's international at this point. Amanda Nachman started it like over a decade ago, and it's it's gotten really big. But um, it's essentially just a news source by college students for college students about being in college. So there was no home base for it. Um, everybody, you know, you add your editor and your editor could be at NYU and you could be at William & Mary. Um, and if you were an editor, you would writers across the country. So I actually trained to be a writer there again, like with my experience, bringing my experience writing for College Express, Carnegie Dartlet. Um, with me. I trained as a writer for them and then was pretty immediately promoted to editor. And by my senior year, I'd started College Magazine's second ever campus chapter. So wow. rather than having writers all over the country, I recruited my own team of writers and my co-editor at William & Mary um, and was president of that chapter and trained all of them in everything from, you know, the basics of writing for the web um, to SEO and social media promotion for your own work. Fantastic. So yeah, that is, that is the beginning parts of my resume. Um, when I graduated, I ended up working on the social media editing desk at Business Insider and then very, very briefly worked for um, a social media marketing startup for about three months before I was laid off when COVID hit. Um, and then the second I was laid off, I called Alex at Morning Brew, who I had, you know, networked and befriended previously. And he was like, I actually think I have a job that would be like perfect for you. So wow, okay. the greater job that I have today. I started in April. Um, and it, it was indeed perfect for me. Like if I had to combine all of my professional experiences into a job that makes the most sense for me, it is the current job I have now. <laughs> Fantastic. I was I was really curious how sort of you you made the jump to to the morning brew team. Um, and re refresh my memory. I um I remember marketing brews launch. Um, and that was you were on the team pre-launch. Is that correct? I was. I worked okay. for morning brew for about two months before the launch, just kind of building this thing from the ground up and seeing Got it. what it would be. So you really got to see, you really got to help. Um, I, I, you know, not entirely sure sort of how, how it works there, but I would imagine you had a lot of input and um, were able to help sort of build this thing. And that, that must've been a, an incredible experience in and of itself. Can you talk to us a little bit about like what that was like? Yeah, I think that, okay. So for some background, Morning Brew started with its core daily newsletter, which now has over 2 million subscribers. And that's been around for the past five years, but over the past two or three years, they've built out these business-to-business -business verticals. So emerging tech came first, and then retail about a year before Marketing Brew, and then Marketing Brew this past summer. Um, or spring, I guess. There's no concept of time anymore. <laughs> um, but So there wasn't like... I wouldn't say that there was a totally established process for launching a newsletter or launching a new vertical, but there was 
you know, somewhat of an outline and a blueprint. And they were like, we know what doesn't work at this point. So (laughs) within the white space, you know, you and Josh Kaplan, who managed the project at the time, um, you guys can figure out like what is going to work based on what hasn't worked. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Uh, what, what, a what a roadmap, right? Um, that's, yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, I, I had been at a startup at, you know, a marketing agency that had five people. I was the fifth employee for, um, the past three months beforehand. And I was really over in over my head in that job. So I think that like with that experience behind me, I was like, wow, we really have a great roadmap here. And they're telling me exactly what to do, but I don't know that current Phoebe would agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely built it from the ground up is the bottom line. Wow. Wow. No, that's a, that's a remarkable experience. Um, and I'm sure something that will serve you well for years to come. So I, I want to talk a little bit about sort of your process. So you spend dozens of hours, I would imagine in, in any given week, combing through oodles of, of marketing trends, trying to make sense of the ones that are actually worth featuring in marketing brew that are worth sort of giving life to can you just walk us through you know what this actually looks like like how do you go about separating uh the wheat from the chaff so to speak and how do you decide what to feature what not to and what do you think is like most important um about how to separate like noteworthy trends from like just buzz or or noise Yeah. So that's one of my favorite parts of my job, but it's definitely the most labor intensive part. I always compare it to, I had this high school field hockey coach. I was very nearly a college field hockey player and (laughs) Um, my life would have gone in a totally different direction, but I had this high school field hockey coach who used to, you know, we'd run sprints or suicides or whatever, you know, we called them. And she used to yell at us, like, this is the only way to get it done. Like, this is the only way to get in shape. And so similarly, I feel like the only way to really curate all this marketing news is to read all of it. Um, So I read every single article on Ad Age, every single article on Digiday and Ad Week and all those major trade publications. Um, But I'm also reading different smaller media newsletters and people's blogs and you know, all these different like tactical marketing sites. Like I'm on Zest all the time. I'm on Hootsuite's blog all the time um, and Sprout Social and Buffer. And I mean, I I legitimately just read every single marketing trade publication (laughs) who was talking about the news from those trade publications. Um, I read them all. So that's, it's like I get up in the morning on, you know, Sundays, Tuesdays and Thursdays because we send Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I read as much as I possibly can in that time. And then as I'm reading, um, I take notes and I'm like, okay, this might be something I want to cover. So say that there's a big story, like I know the Richards group um, and what happened with their agency was a huge story recently. So I copy and pasted every link to every person that was writing about it and, you know, put them all in a doc. And then I do that with multiple different topics. So, you know, if like I could have a document with the links to the Richards group stuff and then the links to the Google antitrust stuff that's going on right now um, and a million other things. And then I, what I end up with is this document of a bunch of different ideas and a bunch of different stories that are relevant for the day. Um, One part I excluded in my curation process is that I get a ton of PR pitches and I'm developing really great relationships with PR people who know exactly what they want to write about and know exactly what I want. So if I ever am breaking a story, it's usually from a PR person who is 
sent me something that I find interesting and, you know, can craft on my own. So I figure out which of those, it's usually around 10 or so stories, um, is going to be most relevant to my readers based on data that we have about them. Um, an email address I found is a really valuable piece of information about your target audience to have. So, you know, we're lucky that we have people's work emails and we can see that most of our readers have had seven to 12 years of experience in the marketing world and they work at B2C companies. And so that's really who we are targeting at this point in our readership. But um, yeah, I picked the top three stories that I think those people would be interested in. Um, I do a lot of data research to complement the stories. So I'm on eMarketer, Business Insider Intelligence, iSpot, um, backing up data um, for the stories that I'm talking about and for the points that I would like to make about those stories. And then by noon, that is all combined into three little pitches to my editor over Slack and we talk about them on the phone. Um, and then I start writing and 9am the next morning, um, the newsletter comes out. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Dang, my uh, that's uh, talk about it like an adrenaline rush. Um, yeah, you know, just... I mean, I guess nine a.m. is when I send the newsletter to my fact checkers and copy editors and people like that. It doesn't really send until the afternoon, but that is sort of nine a.m. is like when that labor of the past two days is um, you know slowed for me. Wow. And so, talk talk to me a little bit about just going back a, a, a tad here to how do you go from reading anything and everything, um, compiling a list of uh, dozens of potential stories? How do you, like, what do you look for when you're trying to sort of like weed out the stories that might be interesting, but might not be particularly relevant to your audience in any given day? Um, are there sort of any like tricks or tips or how do you go about sort of crossing stories or, or potential stories off of your list before you even uh, pitch anything to your editor? Yeah, so the good thing about the format of all of the Morning Brew newsletters is that we have a section called What Else is Brewing? Um, and it's essentially just a one word, or not one word, one sentence um, summary of a piece of news. And then we link out to said piece of news on an unpaywalled source that is like our own. Um, so I link out to a lot of like marketing dive, media post type stories um, in that section. So even when I'm crossing stories off, that doesn't necessarily mean that my readers aren't going to get to know that that's a story that's important and happening today. It just means that I don't have something, you know, incredibly thoughtful to say about them. So once I get down to about 10 stories, I think, is this relevant to my target audience? Um, is there a tactical takeaway for my target audience that will make them a better marketer by the time they're done reading this newsletter? And do I have something to say about this on a personal level? Um, so yeah, that is, that's pretty much how I do it. I think that having, you know, my own take and my own insight about it is probably the most important. And in my career, it's my goal to get to a place where I have a take or I have, you know, some deeper insight on every single one of those stories. And so I can truly order them by the most important. Have you ever crossed off a story from the list that you later regretted? Um, like a story that didn't make it into the actual newsletter that you were like, dang it. Like once the newsletter went out, you saw something on yeah, Twitter or LinkedIn um, and you're like, dang it, I should have covered this. Yeah, absolutely. Bazoma St. John um, became Netflix's CMO yeah. about a minute after I sent the newsletter one time. Oh, no. <laughs> and that like would have been my top story. I mean, my favorite thing to do um, is, you know, cover black female leaders in the space. And we sent it off and I immediately got emails back that were like, I cannot believe you didn't cover this. And I said, I too cannot believe I didn't cover that. But I haven't made a mistake like that since. So 
Oh, wow. That's that's a good one. Um, and then just uh, in, in the spirit of sort of like replies, like what are some of the like the more interesting replies you've got you've you've received from readers? And is is it mostly sort of like uh, people that are that are critical that reply? Do you get a lot of positive feedback sort of how do you deal with that feedback? I'm, I'm sure you you know, that feedback runs quite the gamut. But just curious, any particularly interesting feedback you've received positive or negative that has sort of like influenced how you go about crafting the newsletter? Or, or what's that like? Oh, absolutely. I mean, 25% of, you know, my energy, I feel is spent in that inbox replying to readers and some of it is horrible and mean and terrible, as is, you know, the nature of being a woman who is a reporter. Um, some of it's super great, and I screenshot it and make it my background on my phone for a couple of days to make wow. me feel good about myself. Um, but the best feedback that I get is when it's from a really smart person who, you know, wants the newsletter to be better than it is and wants to tell me how they think it could be better. And occasionally I'll get somebody who is just simply right about, you know, the newsletter not living up to what it should be. So for instance, we had um, some leader of like an ad tech agency email me and they were like, hey, you don't cover ad tech enough. And I said, hey, you're right. We don't. What do you think we should be covering? Um, they gave me a couple of keywords. I had a long meeting with my editor about, you know, which of those keywords it would make sense to cover for our more B2C audience. And then by the next week, we had a story about, you um, you know, chatbots adds the top story in the newsletter and the state of chatbots and the marketing industry and how people can use them to their advantage or not. Um, so yeah, I mean, that that feedback is amazing. And the reality of Marketing Brew is that it is a new product, right? Yeah. Like we, because we started with a list of zero subscribers. Um, and so as we get more subscribers, of course, there's going to be more opinions and more suggestions. And it's kind of like, you know, making a sculpture out of marble. Like, of course, we're just going to keep chiseling it down as time goes on. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you for sharing that with us. I have always wondered sort of like what the what the replies look like to uh, a newsletter like a morning brew or or, or a marketing brew. Because um, I, I would imagine that there there are many. And um, I would also I'm always curious to see how uh, media companies like you all take that feedback and sort of how that actually influences, um, you know, the product itself. And so I love that yeah, example that I you mean, shared. Thank you. Yeah, the best um, experience that I, that could have prepared me for this was when I was in college, I worked at my university's phone-a-thon where we were calling uh. alumni and parents of alumni, um, asking for donations. And my favorite thing to do in that job, I was really good at that job. I might've been better at that job than I am at this job. Um, <laughs> my favorite thing to do was to turn, you know, somebody that's yelling at me and asking why, you know, they're calling me to donate when they already paid tuition, um, was to turn that no into a donation and turn that around into a yes. And that is absolutely possible with, you know, angry people responding to the newsletter about the way that I've covered something. Um, most people just want to be heard. So if you just, you know, reply to every single email, no matter how bad it is, assuming that, you know, somebody has a vested interest in the newsletter, um, it isn't just trolling you, then, you know, it's all good. Fantastic. Sounds like you would be a fantastic, uh, fundraiser. Um, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe your next that. step. <laughs> um, <laughs> Probably not, but you never know. My next one. <laughs> um, talk, turning to our listeners here, um, a little bit are most of the folks that are tuning in to this podcast are enrollment marketers. And so what that means for us, there are people who work in higher ed marketing and or enrollment management. So think, you know, college admissions, um, these folks spend their days thinking about how to effectively reach and ultimately establish 
establish meaningful relationships with prospective students so that they can, you know, get them, get them in the door um, and set them up for success. So given your breadth of knowledge on the marketing strategies and trends that are that are most meaningful right now. So we're in, you know, mid-October, almost late, actually later, or past mid, late October um, of 2020, I'd love to know what advice you have for enrollment marketers that are looking to recruit today's high school seniors. Um, you know, and, and a follow-up question to that too would just be a slightly different audience here is how would you go about promoting a, a graduate program, maybe one in business or, or nursing today? So just right, you know, quick thoughts on how you'd go about recruiting uh, the next um, uh, fall 2021 class. So current high school seniors and then how you'd go about promoting a, a graduate program in, in either business or nursing. Yeah, those are really interesting questions. And also, wow, thank you to anybody who's listening to this right now, um, who's taking time out of their day to listen to this podcast at um, peak crazy season for <laughs> college admissions. Um, I know that November, you know, early decision date is coming up. Um, so thank you for listening. But first of all, for the fall 2021 class, it's really, really difficult to give general marketing advice because the answer to almost all of those questions is going to be, it depends. Sure. So my advice would be to focus on the brand first in how you're thinking about these things. Obviously every college has a vastly different brand from the college, you know, down the street or down the list of best colleges in the United States every year. Um, so like, obviously, if you're like in Arizona State, your brand is vastly different from if you're Dartmouth or if you are, you know, Northern Virginia Community College. Yeah. Uh, so I think that the number one piece of advice I could give all of these marketers is try and figure out where your target audience spends their time online, especially as we're all in lockdown right now and kind of living in a digital world because the type of kid that's going to be looking at Dartmouth is going to spend their time in a different place. Um, usually then the type of kid who is looking at Northern Virginia Community College, perhaps one of them is on TikTok and the other one is on Tumblr, even though nobody's thought of Tumblr in the past 10 years, perhaps that's, you know, where your very niche audience of students that you're trying to target are. So I think that for such specific target audiences and places like colleges where they want to target a very tiny part of the population that is even applying to their school, right? Um, especially those with more selective admissions rates. Like it just has to be a ton of social listening and a ton of market research to figure out where those people are spending their time. Um, and, you know, it's probably not where the adults, you know, are spending your time. Sure. Um, so once you figure that out, you can kind of optimize your brand from there. If it makes sense for you to be on TikTok, be on TikTok. If it doesn't make sense for you to be on TikTok, don't. Um, just investing. I mean, I think that obviously like, social, there's never going to be a VP of social media at a major fortune 500 company. There's always just going to be a VP of marketing, but I do think that targeting Gen Z and then the generation that comes next, I think social is always going to be the most important channel, um, other than email. Um, and then your second question was about graduate programs, correct? Yes. Yes. And how do you, how do you go about thinking about like, uh, people who are in their, you know, later 20s to let's say mid 30s is sort of like the the core uh, age demographic that most college, uh, excuse me, most graduate programs are targeting. So how would you go about, um, you know, people like us, uh, millennials, they're not on the older end of the spectrum, maybe they skew a little bit, you know, younger. Um, how would you go about reaching these prospective graduate students, uh, given that we're 
in the middle of a pandemic in the fall of 2020. Yeah, exactly. I think that it's interesting because I'm in that demographic who is still getting grad school emails, right? But the weird thing is that I often get them at my morning brew email address. Um, The thing about the high unemployment rate and the pandemic right now is that most people that have a corporate email address and are using that email address um, (laughs) are not looking to enter a grad program. They are looking to hold on to their job as tightly as they can. Um, If you can find a way to target people that are not employed and, you know, perhaps that's geo-targeting, right? Like looking at people in certain parts of the country who might have a higher unemployment rate than others. Um, If you can find a way to talk to those people and create messaging around them, whether it's creating a newsletter that is, you know, about like applying to graduate school or what your options are as an unemployed millennial in 2020, or just creating social posts around that initiative. Um, Finding a way to target people who are unemployed, um, I think is probably number one priority for um, grad school marketers right now, because, and, you know, corporate email addresses, I, in my opinion, perhaps I'm totally wrong, but I don't think I am. I don't think that's, um, the way to go about it just from somebody who has a lot of grad school emails in her corporate inbox. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, like bottom line for all of these things is that you have to know where your target audience is. And especially in 2020, when everybody went from going out to a fabulous New Year's Eve party in New York City, and now they're sitting in a cottage in Virginia, you know, that their parents own. Um, those people are in different places, right? Like I am spending my time viewing different channels and consuming media through different places than I was when I was living in New York City. Um, so yeah, just keeping up with the changing tides of where your target audience lives is always priority number one. Love that. No, and I, I love the idea too of specifically finding places where unemployment might be a little bit higher and running some geotargeting campaigns. I think that that's actually a very practical and tactical takeaway for, for our listeners to consider. Um, I'm curious actually to hear a little bit more about your own college admissions experience. Uh, do you remember um, you know, what, you know, how schools interacted with you? Were there any particular schools that, that stood out? Um, any specific marketing campaigns or tactics that that didn't stand out? Uh, if you could just go back um, in, in your in your uh, memory, it's not too far uh, uh, or too distant, <laughs> rather. But um, what was what was that experience like, and 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 what was it that stood out with respect to how schools courted you? So I am one of those crazy people who loved applying to college. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. All of my other, you know, peers in high school were like, I cannot wait for this to be over. But I I couldn't get enough of it. I applied to so many different schools. Um, I loved writing the college admissions essays, which perhaps was a sign that I was going to be a writer. Um, <laughs> that was actually what I specialized in at College Express was um, giving advice as to how people can write the best college admissions essay that they can. Um, but yeah, I think I at least feel as though in terms of a marketing perspective, where I was looking up colleges is probably really different to where college students today are you know, finding their target schools, right? Um, I had a really great college counseling program at the high school that I went to. So that was one part of it. But I think that back in my day, (laughs) I think (laughs) SEO was probably the most important marketing tool that um, an enrollment marketer could have used because I was doing a lot of Googling, right? Like small, like 
schools, small, you know, liberal arts schools in the Northeast that are in the top 50 schools in the country is probably like a Google Google search or a Bing search or whatever that I put in a hundred thousand times. Um, that was how I found Vassar. That was my first choice school. They waited in Sydney, I believe. Um, so didn't end up going there, but, um, yeah, that was, that was how I was finding a vast majority of my schools. Um, I don't know. It was interesting just because I think that the schools that I was applying to were pretty well known, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I didn't have to do a ton of research, but other than, I mean, I really found Vassar online. That wasn't a school that anyone had told me about. I'd heard of it, but, um, you know, it wasn't, I guess I didn't realize how competitive of a school it was until I looked it up and was like, oh, this could be a good, you know, reach or target school for me. Um, so there was that, but then there was also word of mouth marketing, I think is is really, really important. So it's interesting with like, are people still doing campus tours these days? Are they doing them socially distanced? Um, do you have any idea? Yeah, a, like? a lot of them are happening virtually. And then there are some that are happening in person that are socially distanced. But um, uh, the long and short of it is that campus tours have been significantly reduced. Yeah, um, I actually just wrote an article for Marketing Brew today on putting on a really awesome virtual event. Um, there's, you know, research and data coming out that's basically saying we're going to be doing this until at least 2022. So the concerns of marketers putting on a virtual event are more than just should I use Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever. Um, now they are, how can I keep people that are attending this event engaged and you know, make people want to attend more of these events in the future and just have a really good ROI that's coming away from them and a good engagement rate. So read that article. Um, I wrote about a couple of different softwares and um, you know, SaaS programs that will help you keep your audience engaged for a virtual event. And then I also just wrote about um, tactics for advertisers via virtual events as well. Um, so go ahead and read that. But yeah, I think that campus tours are a really good avenue for creating great word of mouth marketing among students. Um, and I know that students would appreciate a really lovely virtual tour because I'm sure a lot of people are doing them really badly. So that's probably a great way for marketers in the field to um, really stand out. Yeah, we'll have to uh, link to that article in in the show notes here. Um, quick follow-up question. So some of the uh, tension or, or debate in the college marketing community right now is around, especially with as it pertains to undergrad, do you go more aggressively with like program-specific marketing or brand-specific marketing? Meaning is, in, especially in this virtual era um, that we're all living through, is it more important to, to try and devise a program-specific like, you know, business specific uh, marketing campaign that's targeting folks that are searching um, um, for, you know, business, uh, undergraduate business programs in the Northeast, et cetera, or should schools invest more in just sort of overarching brand and institutional wide uh, marketing, which is, you know, the more traditional route. So I, I would just love sort of any, any of your thoughts on, obviously, you know, it, it depends on uh, a number of factors, but do you think, like even if you think back to your time uh, searching for colleges and universities, were you more interested in the brand of the school, or were you more interested in sort of the the reputation of the program within the school? <laughs> 
I can't, I kind of can't even believe that the program specific avenue is a consideration. Um, especially, I mean, obviously for graduate students, of course, that would yeah. be a great one now. Um, but for undergrad students, no, no undergrad. I, I'm sure a few of them think that they know what program they want to enroll in and what they want to do. Um, but I would say that's the vast minority of students. And I was incredibly concerned with the brand of the school and essentially just how prestigious the school was, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, I'm sure you have listened to Scott Galloway and his takes on college marketing in the yep. past, but um, he said, I think it was on Morning Brew's Business Casual podcast, that colleges are the most powerful and most influential brands in our society today. Um, Yale and Harvard, those are much more influential names to consumers than, you know, Apple or Google. Um so yeah, absolutely. Like that is the biggest advantage that colleges have is their brand and how they're making a name for themselves. And it's also like applying to college and choosing a college to go to is the first piece of agency that a teenager has in their own life, right? Like hmm. it's pretty dictated for them what high school they're going to and what sports they're playing and what classes they're taking. And, you know, even a lot of times how they dress, but they get to pick the college they go to, even if it's, and even if they have to pick from a list of in-state schools or community college, it is ultimately up to them. And so the branding of that school has to match their expectations for their next four years and their personality type, right? Like I, it's interesting because I was a transfer student. So yeah. William and Mary's branding did not match who I wanted to be in four years. I wanted to be a writer living in New York City in four years. So I thought, okay, I need to go to a small liberal arts school in the Northeast because that'll help me network with people in New York. And so I ended up going to Brandeis. Um, and I was right. It did really help my career and help me make friends in New York, which is ostensibly the city I'm supposed to be living in right now. Um, and I really think that I went there because of that school's brand, because William & Mary, like an in-state you know, public institution didn't match the brand of myself that I had in mind at that time. Um, so yeah, absolutely the brand avenue, no question, um, with the small exception of graduate schools or schools with like a top program in the US. Love it. Love your insight there and and really appreciate your story. Uh, Follow-up question there too is, you know, you mentioned getting some emails from graduate programs inviting you to pursue I don't know what degree that they're targeting you, probably some sort of business degree, um, maybe a master's in fine arts. Um, but can you just talk to us a little bit about like, what is your current perception of graduate enrollment marketing? So the messages that you are receiving, um, you've already alluded to the fact that they're not particularly relevant, right? They're being sent to a, um, a corporate address, your company's uh, <laughs> domain, right? Um, but as you've sort of perused those messages and those materials, um, what 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 do you think? Like, what do you think about the schools that are trying to get in front of you from a branding standpoint and from a, a marketing and messaging standpoint? It's a really good question. I think that especially because my job is literally to send emails, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, Marketing Brew, I, I pride myself in marketing brew having a really high um, open rate. It's like 50, 40 to 50% opens with every email that we send. Um, I cannot imagine that the emails that are coming into my inbox have nearly that high <laughs> open rate. Nope. And if marketing brew had, you know, a 0.5% open rate, because I think I delete 99% of those emails. And I think I still would, even if they weren't coming to my corporate address, because I'm really far along in my career for my age, right? Like I know exactly what my next steps are already. Um, and I know that they don't involve grad school barring like, you know, barring me having no other options, I won't be going to grad school. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, it's just like, I think that these marketers have to evaluate what's working and not just keep trying to put a, you know, square peg in a round hole, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, however, I think that if, you know, people are sending emails and they are getting a high open rate or, you know, higher than like a 0.01% open rate, which is really what I'm imagining these emails in my inbox to have. Um, I mean, I think that optimizing on what channels are working for you is always the best idea. And my perceptions of the schools that are sending me emails is that they know nothing about sending an email and how email marketing works, right? Yeah. Uh, because if they did, then they would be, you know, looking at what other newsletters their target audience might be reading or what other types of emails their target audience is opening and making them look as similar to that email as they possibly can. Making the subject lines look similar, making the images in them look similar to the images in the emails that their target audience is opening. Um, I think, you know, one of the best things that they could do is try and fit in and not seem like a grad school program and kind of seem more like a lifestyle brand, right? Like huh. every single brand that exists these days is a lifestyle media brand. Um, and you know, any successful brand in my mind. So like, if you can create a community that people want to be a part of just based around your branding and you know, how you are targeting your target audience, um, I think that would be, you know, leaps and bounds help more helpful than what is, at least currently in my inbox. And, you know, maybe none of the really great marketers in the space are targeting me. That could also, that could also be it. Um, but that's just from my own limited perspective. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think that that would be nice if that were true. Uh, the reality is it's just, uh, it's a space that needs a lot of help. Um, so um, I, I love that. I love sort of your, your, your note there on thinking about how do you become more aware of what other people are doing? How do you become more aware of what, you know, marketing brew is targeting the same people that these colleges and or many of the same people that these colleges and universities at the graduate level are also targeting. And yet, as you've already said, more, you know, marketing brews emails are incredibly different from your average sort of like search campaign email that you might get from a prospective graduate program. So um, lots of lots of uh, room to grow there. And I think the the framework of thinking about what would it look like to make our graduate program and or our college or university look more like a lifestyle brand. Um, I think that that's a very helpful sort of like space mentally to operate in when thinking about how to craft your next email marketing campaign. So Thank you for that. I've got two final questions for you. You ready for them? Ready for them. Okay. So I actually have three, but I'm going to just pick two <laughs> because um, I want to respect your time. Um, but what are two to three marketing trends that you are especially excited about right now? Ooh. Oh my God. I'm excited about so many. Um, obviously, TikTok. I think that there was a little bit of a scare there with... Yeah. Um, the U.S. government potentially inhibiting our access to TikTok, but that seems to not be top of mind anymore, which is exciting. Um, we'll see how the election goes in that, right? And if it changes anything. But yeah, TikTok for sure. Um, and then I'm trying to think of others. Um, it's interesting. Oh, well, logo trends um, is something that is really interesting to me. So there's this mean? trend of since um, we have all been quarantined, and kind of been living in a bit more of a virtual world than usual. Um, so many brands have changed their logos from to optimize them looking better on a screen versus how you would see them out in the wild. So for huh. instance, like Toyota, they used to have that big boxy logo that you would see, you know, on 
like a car, but they change their logo to make it look more flat and, you know, have um, more distinct colors that it, they just optimized it to look better on a screen. And I think that's really interesting in terms of design trends. I'm trying to pull trends that, you know, are different to different types of marketers here. Um, and then I'm trying to think of some others. Um, oh, I guess in-housing um, is an interesting trend as well, essentially um, with agency layoffs and yeah. also just um, the, you know, recession in general. I think that a lot of in-house brands pulled back on their spend in regards to their marketing agencies and are taking a lot um, of their operations more in-house, which I honestly think is a really great idea to do in a recession. So I, I'm interested to see how that plays out and what types of creative come out of those new in-house um, creative teams. Love it. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Speaking of sort of uh, the the brand shifts in, in, in logos, um, I'm seeing, I'm looking at my, my new, uh, loom logo in my, in my doc. I don't know if you <laughs> use loom or, or, or noticed it as well, but like they completely changed, uh, their logo. It wasn't just a flattening. It was like a, it was like a totally different color scheme and, and oh, design yeah, elements. And, uh, I saw it on my doc a few days ago and I was like, what is that? And, you know, sure enough, <laughs> scroll over and realize it, it it's loom. So, um, uh, but I digress. Okay, so my last question for you is, uh, what is the best and worst piece of marketing advice that you've ever been given? I think the best piece of marketing advice I said earlier in this, which is, you know, you want to try and make your, you want to A, put your creative in front of your target audience as that is what marketing is. Um, but B, once it's there, you want to make it blend in with the things that they enjoy seeing most, whether it's on their social feeds or a billboard or in their inbox. Um, you want to make your piece of creative or ad or piece of content um, as similar to their favorite things that they're seeing on whatever platform that is as possible. Um, so that is probably my favorite piece of marketing advice that I've gotten. And I think that my least favorite piece of marketing advice, that would be, oh, <laughs> definitely comes from um, Emily in Paris. Have you guys talked about that at all on the podcast? No, we haven't, but it's it's so funny. Uh, my wife and I are, we have like one episode left. So, uh, so I, I'm well aware of the show. Oh my gosh. Well, I won't spoil the last episode. It's really good. Please don't. But, um, please don't. Yeah. There was, at some point, they were, somebody advised, um, I think, Emily to keep the campaign mysterious and that with luxury brands you don't want to be like in people's faces and you want there to be some mystery um i absolutely disagree with that i think that there are very sophisticated ways to market a luxury brand you know perhaps not similar not dissimilar to ivy league colleges um without necessarily keeping them mysterious um there's a way to be subtle and be classic while also um, being in front of your target audience. So yeah, never be mysterious. <laughs> never be mysterious. I love it. Well, Phoebe, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, if folks want to get in touch with you and or sign up for Marketing Brew and see your work, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, I mean, I we're actually um, in the process of creating a lot more content for enrollment marketers um, and doing, you know, some stories about marketers at various types of colleges. So there is going to be more content for this audience there um, within the next couple of weeks, actually, as, you know, college admission season kind of picks up. But the best way to get into contact with me is on Twitter and on Instagram. I am at not not Phoebe. So N-O-T-N-O-T-P-H-O-E-B-E. Um, and then you can sign up for the Marketing Brews. Brew newsletter at morningbrew.com slash marketing. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, keep up the great work. Uh, huge fan of Marketing Brew and uh, looking forward to maybe chatting with you again soon at some point as these uh, as these stories publish. Yeah, thanks so much, Zach. This was great. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, Or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.